Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. It's good to have the boys back again. And we are here to talk about a, uh, a number of books from DC this week. We're not going to cover all the books like we did last week. We just kind of picked out the, the biggest titles. We're going to talk about those. Um, I want to say this again for anyone out there who was not paying attention last time as Vince furiously flips through a notebook. Um, we're not dropping any titles. If something interesting happens in a book in a month, we'll talk about it then. But we're not going to be necessarily covering every book every week just because to give these books the time to talk about them, we don't have that much time. So, Yeah, DC publishes too many comics. They waited until I came back to start doing like a dozen <laughs> books a week again. Um. So we read, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six books this week, and I think I have something interesting to say about all of them. What did you think, Zach, as the catch-up boy here, how are you feeling about everything now that you're catching up with all these comics? How are you feeling about Infinite Frontier as a line right now? Um, As a line, um, so most of it is stuff, at least of what we've read, is stuff that I can mostly enjoy while reading it but if i wasn't doing a podcast about it i probably wouldn't read it okay i would say it's probably like 90 percent of the books 90 percent. yeah wow just okay. because i don't know 80 80 percent in lad's chat like two hours ago you were, you basically said that vince doesn't like comics but here you go well, because I was giving him shit. <laughs> he was talking about X-Men as usual. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that is that is absolutely true. Um, it didn't fall off. We'll see about that. Anyway. Um, no, we won't because I never get a platform. <laughs> yes. We never we, get to talk about it. We have de-platformed you, uh, <laughs> just like the American people. We uh, used to do that that monthly Hickman X book check in, and then you guys just stopped reading the books, and I'm just I sit here by myself and tell you how good they are. I, I all right, I, five dollar a month Patreon <laughs> level is access to our DMs where you can see Zach talk to the wall about X Men. No, here's what he does every time he says, "Guys, the X books are good," and Vince says, like like he has a Pavlovian response that says they dropped off. And then Zach says, no, they didn't. Uh, and then I say, I'm sure they're good. I'm just not reading them. We had the same conversation at least four times a week in last chat. So in other words, you're somewhere in the middle, Brad. Yes, exactly. Yes. exactly. I fall somewhere in between you guys, yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, Vince, $5 a month is we bring back the X show. But the $5 a month is just access to Lad's chat. Oh, no, you got to pay me a lot more to read those fallen off X books. Oh my gosh, shut up. <laughs> well, um, hey, how many times can we say Marvel now at the beginning of this episode? <laughs> we had a number of tweets from people not pleased about that conversation. Um, I, I, are you not entertained? I thought that's what people came for, was for that kind of stuff. <laughs> I know that's not the only reason I podcast. <laughs> I, I thought they came to hear me, like, <laughs> like bean count how many issues of some DC book that came out in 2012 had. Is yeah. that how many issues of Sexy Lobo were there? Um, okay, I'm trying to think. Did it have a Villains Month issue? No, it came out before Villains Month. Uh, I, no, 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 that's incorrect. No, okay, it did. Huh? 
It is incorrect. But here's the Lobo issue was not from the Lobo comic. The like first he, one. He was a the Villains Month issue. He was, was the, the Lobo, villain. Was that's right. You're right. I remember that issue because it was written by. Um, it had art by Ben Oliver, who it I did. usually make fun of, but it was really good. It it's was really good. Really ben good. Oliver art. Marguerite Bennett wrote it. And you're dodging the question here, which is how many how many, how many issues, issues, many of, issues of of the sexy Lobo comic were there? I'm gonna say I don't know. I'm I'm somewhere between like 16 and 21, which is like a wider range than I really want. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it had 18 issues. I'm sorry to say fatherhood has uh, ruined your skills here at 13. It, really? That's all? That's okay. All. Yes. Oh, wow. That was when the new 52 had really fallen off and I wasn't, I didn't pay attention anymore. Yes. This, this last issue, it appears came out in uh, December of 2015, which was really the death throes, of the new 52. That's when it was real bad. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, well, um, we're off that bullshit and back to some different bullshit, talking about the Action Comics 2021 annual written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Sia Um and Scott Godlewski. So I have a feeling I'm not going to be alone in this, but wouldn't you guys rather read this every month than anything else Superman-related right now? <laughs> Okay, I'm so I'm the guy who likes action comics right now. It's good. Um, it's good. This is better. But yeah, I, I would rather read this, definitely. Um, that said, I was a little... I, I was slightly disappointed with what this was. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is like a story that's taking place before the story that we had in Future State. Well, okay, the the... The super, the House of L part of the story. <laughs> well, no, it's still taking place before. It's really confusing because there's like a framing device that is set like maybe in current time. I, I think it's supposed to be like six months from now, like when Superman is is on Warworld and sure. you can't say his name. That's how, that's how I sure. read it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty close to the now, and then there's a. a character who knows the future for some reason and and relays the house of l story um which is cool because we get to learn we we get to see a little bit more of the characters that we saw in the future state issue um but it doesn't tell us that much more about them it's kind of just cool that we get to see them i guess and we already kind of know the trajectory and a little bit more about the um What's the evil, like Superman's evil son's name? Pyrrhos. Pyrrhos. Yeah, Pyrrhos. We already know his trajectory and where he's going, so just having him kind of be this lame villain in this is is not that interesting or exciting. Um, I don't know. I liked this, but I didn't like it quite as much as I thought I would or wanted to. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. Um, you guys are high. 
Well, no, I, I mean, I, for, I, I still would rather be reading this than action Superman um, as, as they currently are. But I just think that this was uh, the thing that was great about the future state issue. And I, I know, I, I know I criticized DC more than the creative team for cramming all of that into one issue. But I have to say, like, and I think I'm pretty sure I, I hope I got this across at the time, even though I felt like it was overstuffed, I would rather read an overstuffed story about these characters than this story, which is, yeah, it's got all the new unconventional characters, but it's telling a very conventional story. Um, oh, there's a wedding. Somebody comes to break up the wedding. A fight breaks out. They get trapped in the phantoms. It's all very conventional, overly so, for 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 my optimal taste. That said... It still was one of the best things I read this week from DC. I think like I've, that's that's mild criticism because I think like these are cool characters. They're fun. Um, the art was pretty good. Um, nothing like di- didn't like blow me away. But um, but you know as far as like sci-fi superhero art goes, pretty good. The cyborg yeah, who, super. Who, What's uh, I didn't. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I did want to. Who who did the art in the future state issue? Was that John Thames? No, I believe um, it was Scott Godlewski. I think it, it was Godlewski. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. And the cyborg Superman reveal was yeah the 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 like the like evil son of Superman the red red the red Superman kid like that being revealed like okay well he was already like kind of the bad guy in the future state one and like now here he is again um but then throwing cyborg superman in there and having it be that you know like a future version of hank henshaw was 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 fun while it lasted even though even though the the reveal there was pretty conventional and and easy to see coming as well um so yeah like reading this was a it was a good hang but it didn't blow me away brian tell me why we're crazy well, okay. I mean, I, look. This is, is clearly better than Superman Beyond 3D. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, oh, no, something, I, I, something's never changed. <laughs> Zach, you went away, but you held that grudge. <laughs> yes, I'll never forget. <laughs> um, this just this just scratches the itch for me because I I think that well, well Vince, you're not wrong that there are elements of this story that feel a little bit uh tropey or whatever because we've seen it before the wedding the fight the phantom zone all of that i think that's fair but i think if you look at the majority of superhero comics week in and week out you're getting stories like that all the time there are very few yeah exactly there are very few deathstroke runs right where you're getting something that is truly that truly feels like it's something you haven't read before almost every week. We don't get those things very often. What I like about this is one of the things that we have criticized any number of times on this show is... Okay, so let me back up for one second. So I I wrote the soliciting DC column today for Multiversity. And in the September solicit for... um, Justice League, it they did not release the cover to the Justice League issue, and they just said that there's new characters coming, and that gets that gets me excited because I, I always like when the Justice League expands its rosters. But 
I wrote in there that knowing that this is Bendis, it will take until February until one of them does something interesting because yeah. everything gets dragged out so unbelievably slowly. This is the exact opposite of that. We got – if you didn't read the House of L Future State issue, you could still follow everything that happens in here. And if you did read the Future State House of L issue, it's not like this felt – super redundant and you didn't need to see this stuff again like everything just kind of worked in this it was a really nice it, it was a really nice really engaging story that introduced characters i instantly cared about that gave something different than the normal like, and there, there are so many stories about the superman family and i don't i'm not hating on those stories i love those stories but this feels different than any of those stories before for a couple of reasons. And it's just, it's really, it, it's exciting, it's different. And I legitimately, while you know, like you said, Vince, we know sort of how this story wraps up in some ways, but you don't, um, you, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this. It's just, you don't get stories this solid every day. You don't get this many new characters introduced and clearly every day. To me, it's just a really, really well-crafted, good issue. Is it as good as the House of L one-shot? No, but I would still take this 100 times out of 100 over the Action Comics run, which I actually like, and I, you know, and the Superman run, absolutely 100 times over 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I, and I think what you say is true about, you know, there's so much of this, like, chaff that we read every week. And I think, like, you know, the the good thing about where DC and Marvel are kind of at these days is um, I feel like if, if you're a if you're an average reader who picks up, you know, an issue or two a week or whatever pops into your comic store on a whim and and you pick anything off the shelf. These days you pretty much get a good solid comic with decent art pretty much every time. I think, I think the very, very seldom these days do you get like an absolute stinker like you sometimes got during the new 52. Like I think they've, I think they've editorialized their way into just, being able to write these solid stories that don't shake anything up too much, you know, and if you, if you pick get up off the shelf, you're probably going to have a good time with it. When you read, you know, six or seven or eight issues a week, all that stuff becomes very routine to you. And, um, you start to look for the, the brighter spots or you start to care more about the, the, the really top tier stuff and, and recognize it more. And that's what I thought this was going to be. And then what I got instead was something in between the top tier and the kind of routine. Um, so, yeah, I still think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the better things this week. But, yeah, I was waiting for it to blow me away. And I guess that's my, I guess that's my fault. <laughs> sure. But you're right. Yeah, you're right. Like, you don't get, you don't get stories with new characters told like this every week you get you get a lot of routine week after week yeah and this is also the only blue lantern love we're ever going to get anymore yes <laughs> um 
again, a, a, a lantern, uh, a non-conventional lantern ring showing up somewhere other than a Green Lantern book. Something we talked about with the Black Lantern stuff two weeks ago. Yeah, but it's good when it's Blue Lanterns. It's good when it's any... I think it, I it's think good it's when like, it's anything other than black or white lanterns. Yeah. I am willing and, to or bet... Or red. Uh, I am willing to bet that Roy Harper makes black lanterns good again. Interesting. But we'll see about that. I think only Frank Leminski can save them. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the question. Does, did Frank Leminski's ring go dead when the power battery blew up? We didn't see his name. No, we'll talk about some of those names in a little bit, though. Um, anyway, on to Batman number 110, written by James Tynion IV, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. So Vince doesn't like this book, and Vince, tell us why. <laughs> I mean, I read this issue, and I'm like, what What are we doing here? We're, where, this story has not gone anywhere in, I feel like, months now. <laughs> like Every issue, I open this up, and it's like, like, this issue is like Peacekeeper telling Batman why he actually makes Gotham worse. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I feel like we have some villains telling Batman that every week. What makes this different? What makes this special? Um, other than the Jorge Jimenez art, which looks great. But the story's the same. Two weeks ago, I said, you open this book up and... I can't tell you, like, I cannot tell you what happened in a specific issue. I couldn't tell you, and I couldn't tell you something that happened in this issue versus something that happened in issue 107. It's all just this blur to me. Um, and that's my big problem with it. Like, I feel like I'm reading the same shit every month. Um, Simon Saint uh, hanging out in the background talking about how he's going to clean up Gotham finally. Somebody telling Batman that he's doing it wrong. <laughs> and uh, I just don't know. There's no like forward momentum with this book. For everything that it's got going on and for all the characters and, and, and new elements that it's trying to introduce, I'm not sure any of it is going anywhere. So I, I have an interesting rebuttal to that, or not even really a rebuttal, but so you and I have had different reading experiences for this book. I haven't read it since the first issue, and I caught up on it to talk about this issue. So you read it as if it were a graphic novel, which yeah, uh -huh. I imagine I imagine would be quite different, but yeah, go off. Well, so like I too, like you, cannot differentiate what happened in the individual issues and i just read them over the past couple days um it's all one big blur so I'm, I'm like right there with you on that and i agree on that point too yeah but on the like no forward momentum thing i i think i disagree with that because like taken on a whole i think i can definitely see why you would have that impression reading it the way you have month to month because it does kind of move at a glacial pace that way or it not even it doesn't move slowly it just retreads similar ground over and over again constantly yes yeah but i think reading it in quick succession you notice that a little bit less and it feels like 
like I do feel like a lot has happened in this arc with like Bruce infiltrating the Unsanity Collective, which let me uh, put on blast, like number one worst name. And I think it was issue. It was whatever the second issue of this arc that had the phrase um, reject sanity, embrace unsanity. And yes, I, just, is... I think I think Tynion should go to jail for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really like Tynion, but I, I have to assume he just wrote that with like a huge smirk on his face. Um, yeah. if, if he wrote that seriously, then bonk jail. Um, <laughs> what kind of jail? Can I? Not, can it's I? It's not horny jail. It's, <laughs> it's whatever. It's it's. Whatever. I just wanted you to say horny jail on the podcast. That's all. It's not horny jail. It's. Um, can it's I? Whatever. Can I just interject to talk about the unsanity thing before you keep going? Just to say yeah, my little piece on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. You're right, Zach. I bet he had a big smirk on his face when he wrote that. The problem is. If that's the case, I I, I want it to take itself less seriously then. Yeah, it, it takes this whole story takes itself too seriously to have something called the Unsanity Collective in it and for it to not really be any fun. Um, yeah. So anyway, sorry. I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. But I do like I like the introduction of those characters. I like this um, plot that's developed. with So introducing them and then having them kind of be the scapegoat for Nanako and Saint um, kind of like laying the foundation for the magistrate stuff that we saw in Future State, kind of seeing this origin of Peacekeeper 1, which we thought that the Future State stuff would... We thought that that would get into that then, and it kind of never did. And, and, and it's because it's this character who is all important for this A-Day stuff and the kind of the way that that's handled... This this story feels like it's one that's trying to be extremely topical with like current issues and I and I feel like sometimes it's a little too on the nose. But I still kind of do I I I, I can't fault Tynion for trying to be topical. I think I just think it's like a little a little on the nose sometimes, but it, I think it's mostly good. Um, it's also pretty mealy mouth because yeah, Batman's gonna <laughs> Batman's gonna team up with the good cops and save the day. Sure, the end or whatever yeah, you know. You're right. Yeah. Um, but also, I just I I think the thing that I've been saying about Tynion's run just the entire time is just I love how much he's built up the cast and thrown in all of these like colorful not necessarily like creative characters, but just like fun new characters. Like I like Miracle Molly. I like ghost ghost maker. I like what he's doing with Harley. Um, I like this, um, this other character that showed up a couple of issues ago. Who's kind of like, a is it uh Bella? The uh, poison Ivy's old girlfriend. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like all of these new characters that he is introducing and kind of making the the extended cast of the bat book interesting again i can't remember the last time that there were characters who weren't you know dick tim barbara etc that i cared about or was interested in reading about and and he's doing that i i think reasonably well um 
so I, I want to go back to something exactly that I agree with. I like the idea of the Unsanity Collective being the patsy in this. Uh, to quote Jeff Lebowski, someone the straight community wouldn't care about. Um, just like <laughs> this idea of, of, of being like, people would hear this, would hear that there was this attack and obviously blame the weirdos and blame the whatever. Like, I, I think all that is, is really well done. And I think overall there's a... There's a lot of logic to this run, and, and that sounds like an odd thing to say, but I feel like so many times the the plans of the villain, if you stop and think about them, just never make any sense. Whereas I feel like Tynion has done a good job here in expressing sort of everybody's bottom line and, and what they're all seeking here, and that, that stuff's really well handled. I also think that Ghostmaker is a character I didn't ever expect to really care about. Not that I'm getting a Ghostmaker tattoo or anything like that, but... I think the character's been handled well. I think Harley is in an interesting position right now. I think Miracle Molly and the Unsanity Collective, um, you know, are, are an interesting... Just, you know, just... Again, I just feel like Tynion has brought a lot of unique aspects to this run, and that's why I'm enjoying this run. That said, I don't think that each issue is necessarily a an Eisner-winning issue. I think that the, it works much better when you think about the whole, um, you know. I, just, I agree. I, yeah. I, I I just think that sometimes the the form dictates frustration, and I think the monthly comic form is not the ideal form for these stories. But it's the the form that the creators have to take. Yeah, this doesn't need to be a six issue arc. No. No. And, no. like, opening up with that same framing thing of Bruce, like, being That's the worst part of every issue. That's the worst yeah. part of every issue. It, because it's literally, it's the exact same thing every single time. Yeah. And the imagery is cool. Like, especially in this issue where he kind of comes out in that open field and there's just that giant scarecrow on the post. Like, mm -hmm. Jimenez is doing some great work. But, gosh, that's... I mean, it's just two pages, but it feels like five. <laughs> it's it's two pages of real estate in a in a a world where we get you know twenty pages, 20, 20 a, week, pages a month yeah. or whatever yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's like, come on, you know. Also, like Bruce is like, "How are you doing this? How are... It's the fucking scarecrow. <laughs> He's the... what do you mean? How is he doing this with scarecrow toxin? <laughs> He's with fear toxin. He's done this, you know." He's done this to you a dozen times. What are you talking about? Like, it's so it's so played out. I mean that. Again, we we've we've had this discussion so many times in the show where it's like, well, you know, every comic is somebody's first comic. Okay, but I think anybody who's picking up a Batman comic knows who the Scarecrow is, right? So like, something in your story should st streamline that bit for you. And, um, I think the other thing is like, yeah, what you say is true. Um, comic publishers, they want you to write for the trade. They want to sell a, a trade that has, you know, five to six issues in it. They want that to be one story essentially. I guess all I can say at this point is I am absolutely sick of that. And that's not, I can, I can no longer take that as an excuse for like 
storytelling I'm not finding satisfying. Because I think, you know, what you say is probably true, Zach. If you read this all at once, you would notice it less. But if I sit down and think about it and I really criticize it, you still have to consider how much page real estate then some of that stuff takes up, even if you're reading it all in one chunk. And it may not feel as bad as you do it, but it's it's still it's still a lot of real estate to regurgitate the same stuff over and over again. And I'm just tired of that in comics. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's not my preferred form, I guess. Here's what bugs me about this run a little bit. And, and bugs is probably overstating it slightly, but we're getting an event come September called fear state. That is basically the scarecrow part of the story, like expanded across the entire Gotham series of books. If you're going to do that, you don't need to be so clearly referencing the scarecrow every issue here, because you're getting. To, and I understand you want to you want to drop hints, but like you could put the scarecrow in every issue in the background someplace and have someone watching on the news and seeing the scarecrow on top of the building like we had in one of the first issues or whatever it was. Like, there's no reason to make it this overt if you're paying it off in a huge event. If this was going to culminate in the sixth issue with a scarecrow confrontation, then I understand why you have to thread the needle through the arc. But if you're bringing it to this bombastic conclusion that's going to take months and cover hundreds of pages of comics over six books, whatever it is, then why do you need to waste the lead up to that with just more of it? It just seems overkill. Yeah, it. it this is starting to feel like um, the Joel Jones Catwoman stuff, which like once it lost, once it lost her art, um, it it lost that special thing, and then it was just like eighteen issues of the same story. I mean, like that Villa Hermosa stuff was essentially the same story all the way through and it got repetitive and it got tiresome. And, and I, you know, issues bled from one to the next and I can't tell you when certain things happened. And, um, this is, this is doing the same thing, especially when, like you said, Brian, they've got this fear state event coming up and it's like, I feel like we're in fear state right now. <laughs> what, right. Well, what I, am I, I do to wonder think about that. I do wonder if at some point fear state was supposed to start earlier or later, and the the move of it, like may, maybe maybe it, this was supposed to be a three issue arc into fear state, but to to coordinate everyone's schedules, they had to push it to six issues, and so that's why this feels so decompressed because he had to basically. It wasn't enough time to get off of the Scarecrow story to move someplace else, so he just had to make this story longer. I'm not saying that's a good excuse. I'm just saying maybe yeah. that's what happened. I don't. I kind of think this was like always the plan. I think it was like, okay, we're gonna have this lead-in arc that's like six issues, and then we'll do Fear State, which is the big crossover, because that gives all the other books, all the other Bat books, enough time to kind of set themselves up uh, in Infinite Frontier. And then do the big crossover. I think oh, that's what the thing is. It's like you had to give 
you couldn't you couldn't go straight into crossover mode. You had to have like an enough. You had to have enough issues so that all, all the other bat books could have a first trade before you do a crossover. That's actually a really good point. I'm sure you're right, but that's yeah. and what, grim. <laughs> what there will be is there'll be this arc will get its own trade. Fear State will get a, it'll be Batman Fear State. Then it'll be like Fear State Gotham Volumes One and Two, which will be uh-huh. all the other books collected. Uh huh. And then there'll be a Fear and then State. The volume two of all those other books will just skip those Fear State issues, exactly. or they might include yes. them. No, they won't. With like right a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they include them, which is always an, a very awkward reading experience. Um, yeah. but. Yeah, I guarantee that's what it is. And and I do like some books are just better read in trade and this is I think definitely one of them compared to something like um you know Teen the Titans X-books Academy say. or yeah, the X-books. <laughs> not nah, you should you do not want to read those in trade cuz you got to you got to read the whole thing as it's coming out except for the Percy books. <laughs> Well, let's yeah. let, let's move off of this. Let's let's talk about um, yet another bat title, Batman Secret Files: The Signal. Oh, hey, really quick, can we just say I have also been liking the Ghostmaker backup. I really oh, like uh, I, I the artist. Yes, thank you. Yes, uh, we we slobbed on his knob a number of times so far in the okay, show. Okay, okay, yeah, he's very good. I and, will say, um, I will say, last month's was trash. Um, it was that one like soliloquy about the character's history who we're never going to see again. This month was better than that, but there was still a lot of time spent on these non-Ghostmaker characters. But at least you learned something about Ghostmaker in this installment. Yeah, I think these villains are kind of fun. The last, the one from last month, that was like the telekinetic Robo Boy. He he was kind of uninteresting, and also like I feel like Ghostmaker like kind of copped him a little bit. He seemed like a like good person who just got. Uh, you know, he 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 got dealt a bad hand and was uh, kind of lured into like a drug bust by a cop or something. That's that's he what was, I got from entrapped. that story. Yeah, he was entrapped. Yeah, I got big entrapment vibes from that story. This one was fun. Um, <laughs> oh, with this like kung fu gator guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, who had a great name that I can't remember what uh, it's it was. Instigator. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Wonderful name. Italian chef is emoji. Zach, I want to kind of suck myself off here by like repeating something I said on a show that I'm sure you didn't listen to. You didn't listen to the show, right? I don't think so. No. No, I don't think so. He says, maybe, maybe I do. Let let me consult my records here. (laughs) Go off. Just do your thing. Okay. So the, I I just want to bring this up because I want to hear your thoughts on it because, because you're a smart big brain guy. And I, I I just want to hear you um, springboard off of what I'm about to say. The thing about these, these backups and the, the, the origin of this character, uh, this villain character that we, Brian alluded to not liking that uh, installment of the thing about it is like, I think about Morrison's like, Final Crisis, where um, one of the big things that we all remember from Final Crisis is uh, the um, now I'm not a super young team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how much time did we actually spend with super young team in Final Crisis? Like, 
a handful of pages. Yeah, maybe like a dozen, a little bit more. Right. If that. But we all remember them and we all think fondly of them. And it's not just because Morrison was writing them, right? It's like, because Jake, Joe Casey and Chris Cross did a six-issue miniseries after it. <laughs> well, I absolutely didn't read that. So, <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is that that's the difference here. These villains in this Ghostmaker backup, they are all cool and interesting. And then my eyes glaze over as soon as you do an entire backup issue that gives one of them an origin, you know? I feel like writers need to lean more into the Morrisonian, like, hey, let's introduce this team of just wacky sounding and looking characters. And then just, that's good enough. You'll you'll remember them because their names are funny or their costumes are cool or they have a little personality. We don't need to get granular and know everything about them. And when you do that, you lose momentum. And... You know, Morrison has so much stuff uh, in their canon of work that proves that all you need to do is introduce a a little granule of an idea, and it's enough to sustain itself. With yeah, it. yeah, it's exactly. the same as like the House of L stuff. I was just gonna honestly. say, a very handsome man brought that up earlier tonight about a different book, and uh... <laughs> yeah, it's the same. Um, and I, I like I, that book. I yeah. do. I agree with you. Um, I think I think this one and Brian I think said this too. In particular, the, this one with Instigator is fun because it's it's almost less about Instigator and more about t- telling you something about Ghostmaker, even if it's something that we don't necessarily need to know. Um, also, it's just like very visually uh, interesting. I think this the sequence. Um, but like yeah, the previous one, I did kind of like the the like robot assassin kawaii girl. I I did kind of like that one. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I mean this this backup is you know, it's four installments in. It it really is this this kind of format of highlighting a different villain's experience with Ghostmaker is is a little uh a little I mean, it's very formulaic. I, it's maybe not like the best use of a, a Ghostmaker backup, but the art is so good. And Ghostmaker is just kind of such like a dumb, fun character that I don't mind it. I've, I've enjoyed this backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has been. It has been fun. Yeah. I, I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts about that in, in, a, in, a, in a more uh, macro sense. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. Um uh less is more yeah yes all right well let's get back to uh what i was gonna say before about the the signal book batman secret files the signal number one is it's wild that we have the urban legends book which has four supporting cast stories each month and now we have another book of one shots that are supporting cast stories um but I have to – we should say this is written by Tony Patrick and illustrated by Christian Duce. I kind of liked this. I, I, I Go ahead. Keep Well, no, keep going. I was say I, I liked a lot of this. I like the status quo this is setting up. I like the the crime Bible shit. As you know, that's a 52 thing. That's, that's right in our collective wheelhouse. Um all of that stuff is good. I just felt that the writing on this just was a little bit 
too formulaic and a little bit maybe not not pushing the envelope quite enough with certain things. It was fine. I like that We Are Robin is coming back into this in a little bit of a way. Like, there's a lot of good stuff here. It's just that this issue didn't do a ton for me. And I think part of that is the realization that it says at the end of this, to be continued. And that means, like, one of three things. It means another miniseries that we'll like the first issue of and then forget to read the rest of. It, it means an urban legend story, which will be fine. Or it means they're going to take a chance and do a Duke book. I think that the, it's going to be the urban legends thing pretty much 100%. I can't imagine the other things coming true. And I just it's frustrating that they that obviously a lot of work and care has gone into making this character interesting and unique and we're just not paying it off. So I think the part of my frustration with this issue cuz it looked pretty good. I think Duce's art was was pretty nice throughout this. There were some interesting things in there. It just felt like it wasn't going to go anyplace, and so why am I going to get invested in these things that aren't going to go anywhere? Um, I think I mostly agree with you. I think um, conceptually this is very cool, having Duke be like the daytime Batman. Yes. Which he fun. already kind of was, I guess. Like, yes. Yeah. That was but, his thing. But this sort of makes it clear, right? I guess, sure. It institutionalizes it. Um, I'll institutionalize you. Okay. The, the writing. I just wanted a Pepsi. Mom, give me a Pepsi. And you, either you know that song, Suicidal Tendencies, Institutionalized? No? Uh, <laughs> yes. No, okay. no, I no. don't. All right. Um, the writing felt like very hello fellow teens to me. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that oh, one character yes. sucks. The uh, So bad. Um, the Xander you character? Would, you, you would be one hell of a social media influencer. Yes. You know all those millionaires who then became social media influencers? Yeah. Bruh. Uh, yeah, the, sorry, was... Bruce. Oh, that's the other thing. Yeah, Bruce. That's such like a – I mean it's probably accurate for the way that, that Bruce would respond, especially if he's trying to put on airs. But like <laughs> that came off very like uh, – you know, Judge Smales from Caddyshack or something like that. Like, Bruce is a little bit of a frat me. fuck boy too. You know, like, I, I think he's. Been, this isn't the first time Bruce has been called bruh, right? <laughs> um. Yeah. I also. This was um. The another a big issue I have with these kind of um oversized one shots is they don't need to be oversized. No. Correct. Um, and um yeah i don't know i i didn't love this if this had been 20 pages i might have liked it more i think if this I... had just started i'm sorry Vince, i was gonna say one last thing oh, yeah. if this had just started as the first part of an urban legends thing i'd also be fine with it i think the one shot format yeah. stretched it too far and yeah sorry vincey go ahead no that's i i was just gonna say the same thing i think like Man, I, I felt like I know it's not true. It's not what I'm about to say is not true. But I feel like I open DC Comics now every week and they're all oversized. No, they are though. And like I always go to check and see how okay, how many variant covers are in this and how are, is there any back matter? <laughs> oh, like man. does this have all the pride stuff at the back? This is such like first world bullshit. Our listeners are probably like you 
you spoiled assholes. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's just like it, it doesn't need to be that, you know, and, and it, it, you really feel it, too. They stretch some of the like fight scenes in this again, like uh, there's redundant information delivered in the very same issue. Like that's the thing that I hate. I hate when issues are oversized and you can tell where they're putting in like extra information we already know just to pad that out. Um, yeah, that really bugs me. Um, I agree with Brian. There's, there's a lot on the periphery of this that I like. There were a lot of little moments about, uh, Duke's character, especially like there was that one scene towards the end where he like gets into bed and he's like looking at his phone and he's like, I, you know, I don't want to talk tonight. We'll talk tomorrow or whatever. And like, it's a simple thing. It's, you know, nothing fancy or whatever, but that's a, that's a, that character moment struck a chord with me. That's the kind of stuff that when you when you when you pad that into a story, that kind of helps define the characters a little more so than these like interminable uh, villain of the week type things with the extended fight scenes that aren't really doing anything different or special, especially not visually. Like I think this was you're, you're right. Like the Christian Duce art was good solid art but it's not doing anything spectacular this is a standard uh looking comic as you're gonna get at dc um i also don't know how much he could have deviated from this script no i don't think the yeah. script gave him the opportunity to go off absolutely not no it's the the, the for better or worse this comic is just aiming squarely for the the Strike zone, I guess. I, I, I don't know. Um, it's 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 a, it's trying to be average, I think. Um, and the the problem with that is that we have been spending too many too many years now with Signal, with the Signal, with Duke Thomas, just moving him forward at a glacial pace, and. Um, it's a shame because, like, yeah, this issue could have been some step forward for him. But, like I said, they're like, oh, you're going to be the daytime Batman. Well, he already kind of was. That That's kind of what the point of that Signal miniseries was. It was to show him patrolling in the daytime uh, in a way that Bruce can't necessarily. And so what's supposed to be, like, a an issue of character development is... Um, a mirage, I think. I mean, I, I, I'm less mad about the restating the daytime Batman thing for two reasons. First of all, I, I think that we read all these comics, whereas most people don't. So that that's not a point that's hammered home all the time. And it really doesn't take that much time to do that. Like in the, It doesn't take half the issue to establish that. He talks to Bruce for two pages. So like, I, I don't think that's as big of an issue. Um but I, I think that the secondary thing is if if you are to believe that people come and go from comics based on you know you know all the infinite frontier number ones got a tick up right of 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 sales from what it was before that and so I, I think if you want to if you're if you're thinking about it we're trying to introduce more people 
to Duke, I don't think it's bad to restate that. I think that's one of the least offensive parts of the comic. I think far more offensive than that is just the sort of lazy writing that we see throughout it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that, like you said before, extending some of the fight scenes to pad out the the page count, that is far more bo- bothersome to me than it is to see, um, you know, just a, a restating of a, of a status quo we already know in just a couple pages. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. Um, I guess just as long as we're thinking big picture a lot lately, <laughs> um, it's this is just a reminder to me why... <laughs> this is you're gonna get mad at me for saying this, oh, but boy. this this is why manga is so good, right? Like this is why I love DC Comics, but I so prefer like a manga style publishing because you get filler arcs in manga, sure, but you almost never get this thing in a manga series where it restates stuff that's already happened or it re replays things for you or it you know there's almost no time where you read even long-running mangas where they go okay we're gonna go back and remind you what this character's deal is you know and i think obviously with like 80 plus years of a shared universe you're gonna have to do that i think but there's got to be some way to we can't, we can't we can't read the same Duke Thomas story every year for 5 years now or whatever it's been you know I don't disagree um, with that point I, I think that's a very fair point but uh, but I, I want to counter that a little bit so I I am somebody who is far less frequently reading manga than you guys are but I'm also somebody who is far more frequently writing about manga than you guys are. I, I have to write about manga at least twice every, at least once a month now, whereas you guys do it once every two months because I fill in for people here and there. And so lots of times I will well, look at look at the manga expert in the room. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I'm 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 saying that I'm not a manga expert, and that's my point. Is that there are times when I'll say, you know what, I don't want to read the same manga that I've been reading. I, I, I review like three mangas that I'm, that I'm, that I keep up with in Shonen Jump. Right. So like, I want to, I want to read something else and I'll, I'll pick a chapter and it's totally incomprehensible. Even if it says like, Oh, this is the start of a new story. It's totally incomprehensible to me because I don't have the background in it. Now that's, that's not, that's not true all the time. There are obviously, there are manga stories that do a good job filling you in. But a lot of times it is, it is as incomprehensible as any, as as issue three forty three of any long running superhero comic, it just is. That's absolutely um, true. And so, yeah, I, you're right. I, I don't think that you're necessarily giving it. I, I I think that you're you're saying that in an ideal world, you wouldn't need all this catch up stuff. But I would argue that in an ideal world, you also shouldn't tell somebody. Well, if you want to know about the signal, you have to go back to his first appearance in Batman Year Zero. But to understand Batman, you have to go back to 1939 or whatever it is. Like there's just yeah. like you you have to give people a chance to catch up a little bit. And like you said, the daytime Batman thing was established in a miniseries like three years ago now, 
And so I don't think it's bad to restate those things. I'm not saying every issue. I'm not. But, you know, and I'm sure it was restated once or twice in Batman and the Outsiders. But this issue, I have to say, does a good job of he's like, first you started with me and we learned about your powers. Then you went to the Outsiders. We're preparing you for that next thing. I did like seeing sort of the, like, what the what the Bruce mentorship of Duke looks like. I didn't mm-hmm. think this was. I didn't think that this was. This was offensively bad, by any stretch. Like I was saying before, no. I, I just wish that it was uh, that there was that there was going to be more to this, because I feel like this was. I don't want to say a waste of time because that's not what I mean at all. But you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a missed opportunity in some ways to. Yes. To to really do something with the character, yes. you know. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I hope they announce tomorrow a, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a Duke series. Because here's the thing. Okay, uh, this is where – okay, I think I got it. This is where I will meet you halfway, Brian, because you're right. You're right. You do have to catch people up sometimes. You don't want to expect them to go back and read how many years of – yes, you're absolutely right. Here's the thing, though. If they do an issue like this where – it retreads so much ground and doesn't really move Duke Thomas forward. And then it takes another, you know, six months to a year before we get another Duke Thomas story that may or may not feel like it matters. Then what are we doing? Then, then why did you take the time to do this? I will, I will, I will agree with that. What I will counter that, slightly though is i think this does move duke forward a little bit and maybe not duke at, maybe it it moves the signal forward without moving duke forward because i think that establishing the we are robin folks as as part of his life is actually a really fun really interesting development that we haven't seen before i think that giving a sort of more um that's what I'm looking for. This just this really nicely sets the mission statement for Duke. And I think that maybe the character needed a mission statement reset at some point, or at least restating at some point. Now, I agree with you. If this is the last time we see Duke for six months, then when you see him in six months, you're going to have to restate all that all over again, and that blows. But if that's not the case... I don't think this is a bad thing. We're talking way too much about this issue, but that's okay. Yeah, we are. I I do just want to close out and say I think that this issue is a another great case to prove the rule that uh, most superhero comics are best read as wiki entries rather than actual comics. <laughs> uh, he's back, folks. Yeah, he's good again. Oh, there it is. Let me just pull up the dick the Duke wiki rather <laughs> than pull up, pull up the dick the wiki. Dick. <laughs> Your daughter's probably still awake, Zach. She can't hear things. She's too busy making a mess of that. Uh, I'm still at the point where I can like freely say curse words around my house without having to like yeah. feel bad about it or think about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about our final three books of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, denizens of Earth-1218. We are the hosts of Make Mine Multiversity, a twice-monthly podcast, and it is I, Jake, the Taskmaster One. And I'm Elias, the Bendis One. 
Make Mine Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into the X-Books of the recent-ish months, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our monthly heavyweight champion. Sometimes we even have lists. And other times we have book clubs on Marvel series, past and present. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior indeed. And we have returned with Crush and Lobo number two, written by Mariko Tamaki, illustrated by Aman K. Nahuelpan. I will one day pronounce that right, I promise. You never will. I, you're probably right. Um, Zach, you did not, You just caught up with this for this uh, episode. So talk to us about Crush and Lobo. What do you think so far? Um, So I like Crush <laughs> as a character a lot, and I weirdly like Lobo a lot. I like all Lobos. Um, even the stupid sexy one? Even the stupid... Especially the stupid sexy one, actually. Um, You're pro-Lobo? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I'm loco for Lobo. Um, this is another case of a book like the um, the Duke thing. There, there were a few parts in this issue where I felt like this is this is being padded out. This is not an eight-issue miniseries. There's not enough story here. Um, and it kind of hurt my enjoyment of it. Um, I think the art saved it a lot. And just the fact that I, I like the character and I, I like... Um, I like some of the things that Tamaki is doing with the character, but it, it felt very slight to me overall did you read these two issues back to back um like uh, I, I read the first one yesterday and the second one today okay vince and i had a very different take on the first issue and i think the okay. first issue is probably a better comic than the second issue is i i agree with that i think the first one like set the foundation really well um, so Vince, I'm curious to hear what you think of this issue. If you if you agree with Zach, or if you were still similarly smitten with this book. Well, I think you're right that the first issue is better. I think that's mostly because it was such a surprise to me. I didn't expect. I mean, I like Tamaki a lot. I will try anything she writes. Um, and I like most of it. And yet, you know, like the prospect of a crush in Lobo book isn't something that I was like beating down the doors to read. Uh, and it kind of blew me away with how like fun and charming and heart filled and everything that it was. Um, and so I just think the surprise factor probably factors into that a lot. I think the second issue is totally solid. I think it there, there's no like missteps or anything. Um, I think, you know, there, there's still a lot of heart to it, um, especially the stuff with uh, with with Crush and her uh, girlfriend or ex-girlfriend, whatever, you know, whatever the status is right now. It's complicated. Um, that stuff all really works for me well. I just think the I think the pleasant surprise of it all just kind of wore off. Um, it's still something I'm looking forward to read reading every month. Um it's just that that first issue was so like 
wow, I, I, I like every page of this, you know, I, and I can't believe I do. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I probably agree with you there, Vince. I think that this issue was, I think the strongest part of this issue is the same as the strongest part of last issue, which is the stuff between Crush and her girlfriend. Like, I'm far more interested in their relationship than I am anything to do with Lobo, which is, uh, you know... You're going to diss the main man like that? (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure that, uh, I'm pretty sure that this is the best Lobo story we've gotten since 52, maybe? No, I think he was good in, um, um... He was in Death Justice Battle. Justice League. Uh, Orlando's Justice League. Oh, that's that's fair. I forgot about that. I was going to say, he was he was kind of fun in Death Metal as well. He was fun in Death Metal as well, yeah. Um, but this is certainly the best comic with Lobo's name on it, maybe ever, or in a very long time. Um, but I, I really do enjoy the relationship stuff between Crush and, and her lady friend. Uh, that stuff was good. I think that the art is really strong. I really enjoyed the the visuals here. I also feel like we were talking before about the um, the House of L stuff in the Action Annual and how you could sort of see the trope coming at you in that, you know, like with the wedding and the wedding being crashed and a fight and all that. And I feel kind of the same way with, like, a, an enlightened Lobo. Like, this is essentially when Barney from The Simpsons quit drinking and then had one sip of, al- of that alcoholic uh, champagne <laughs> and, like, went... And like flew off in the uh, in the jetpack, right? Like like he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna encounter one little bit of violence and turn right into the old main man again, right? Which mm-hmm. is which is the same thing that happens in fifty two, actually. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, so it's yep. not it, it's not exactly a new a new Lobo story here. We're getting kind of the, the same old story, but I think that again, I think the crush stuff is really interesting, and I th- I think if you had asked me initially. Is the Crush and Lobo series going to be more of a Lobo series or more of a Crush series? I'd have said more of a Lobo series, and I'm glad it's not that way. Um, but I understand what Zach is saying. I, I think that the second issue, really, all that happens in the second issue of of note is that she gets to the prison. Yeah, it does that. It does that that <laughs> Cape Comics thing of at the end of the first issue you see the exact next place that the story is going. And then it takes the second issue, the entire <laughs> uh, length of that issue to get to that exact place. Yes. So like at the end of issue one, Oh, crush is going to go see Lobo in prison. And then in the next issue, they do something to make it so that it's stretched out so that that doesn't happen until the, the it's the Jurgen special, right? Remember yep. like, Remember Jurgen's like uh uh what was the what was the most recent run where he was doing that all the time? Wasn't it Nightwing? It's not not even Nightwing, it was something before that. Um it was either one of his more recent Superman runs or if he did like a little did he do a little Green Lantern uh writing I don't think for a so. little while. Well, well, maybe it was Nightwing, but it was something before that, too. I feel like Jurgens does that all the time, where the twist at the end of one issue is the same twist as the end of the next issue. <laughs> like, <laughs> or the end of the next issue is, like, you, you see the twist at the end of one issue, 
And then at the end of the next issue, one of the characters sees that same twist, <laughs> you know? Um, it's bad. And, it, and then plus great. it's on the next cover as well. As <laughs> So you see it like, like three times you're supposed to be shocked by the same thing. Um, you know, it doesn't ruin the book. It doesn't like... Like I, like I said, I'm still looking forward to reading the next issue of this. It's just, it's just this silly Cape Comics thing that happens. Yeah. I Again, it's that. a pro, it's a product of all this shitty decompression that we have to deal with. What I find really interesting about this series in particular is that it's an eight issue, not a six issue miniseries, and I feel like you could have cut almost all this issue and not lost anything from the series itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, let's move over to Green Lantern number four, written by Jeffrey Thorne, illustrated by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. Vinci, I want to start with you on this one. We we both did not like about half of Green Lantern number three. And I bet I can guess which half it was. <laughs> <laughs> um and and now this book is similarly bisected into two stories. Did you feel that the good was as good and the bad was as bad in issue four as you did with issue three. Yeah, it's pretty much the same story for me. Um, so I'm not going to talk too much about it because I want to give Zach a chance because uh, we haven't heard from him in a while on this. But but boy, I just do not care about John Stewart being a not Green Lantern, but also kind of kind of a Green Lantern. Sometimes it may, it, it may be kind of a guardian and maybe a guardian. And, and, and I just don't care about that stuff. And yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the art, but I really don't think it's the art that's impeding it for me. I think it's just a premise. I, it's a premise I don't care for and nothing Thorne has done has made me care for it. Um, whether it's I don't know if like he's just not doing enough to invest me in the characters that Stewart is uh, being surrounded by or if I will say I will say I still like John Stewart like I, I feel like uh, Jeffrey Thorne is writing a fine John Stewart I just don't like him in being in this element I guess um, and then on the flip side of that I think the second half of it, stuff with uh, Joe, I'm I am invested in that stuff, and I am interested in what's going on there, with the lanterns and the the, the battery dying and the potentially the guardians dying and um, many Green Lanterns dying. Apparently, I'm invested in that stuff. I will say, I didn't think the Santucci art was great. Um, I thought that I thought that art was pretty weak as well. Um, I guess maybe reading Joe uh, being drawn by uh, Jamal Campbell, and then you know the Joe here doesn't look nearly as good. Kind of none of the art really does. Um, I hate to say it, but but as far as the story is concerned, I'm still way interested in in what's going on in that half. So I'm I'm gonna say my piece to then let Zach, like you said, sort of go off on this for a few minutes. But I thought that the John Stewart part here was slightly better than last week, uh, last month rather, 
because I feel like I I was under the impression, thankfully incorrectly, that we were going to have like six months of Jon Stewart on this stupid planet. And this took him off that planet and put him on a path to something more interesting than he was doing there. I'm not saying it's going to be that he's going to, all of a sudden this is going to be the most interesting Jon Stewart story of all time, but it's it's going to be better than him like hiding out on this planet where he doesn't have his ring and he can't get off the planet. Now he has a spaceship. No, he's going He's going to Future State Green Lantern. Well, I hope not. I mean, I, I know that's where <laughs> it's going, but I hope, I, I want to believe it's not going there, you know. Um, but you understand what I'm saying, though. It, it, it's... It's moving the story ever so slightly along, whereas I thought that was never. I thought it was going to be a long while down the road. Um, I, I want to talk after Zach's done about John Stewart, maybe being a guardian in in some way at the end of this, um, and then I want to talk about the Dead Lanterns too, because this issue lists a bunch of dead Green Lanterns, and some of them are like the definition of like the. The, the chaff of the Green Lantern Corps, right? Characters you don't really care about. But there's three in particular that were mentioned here that I'm sort of shocked they killed off-panel. Yeah. And I have the big question of just why. Like, I understand that you're supposed to be showing the destruction of the Green Lantern Corps, and you need to let people know that this is serious, right? This, this shit's fucked. I get why you, you do that. But, like, Arisha however you want to pronounce it. I've heard that pronounced about a thousand different ways. Aresia, Arisa. Like, she's been an important Green Lantern for like 40 years now. Mm-hmm. You killed her off screen. Isamat Cole was a big part of the John's Tomasi Green Lantern Corps run. Killed off screen. Vath Sarn was a Thanagarian who became a Green Lantern during the Ran Thanagar War. Like, not that that's the most important story in the history of the Green Lantern Corps or anything like that, but just these are characters that have a history. And if you want to make it seem like this is really a big deal, this is the chicken shit way to do that. If you killed Guy Gardner or killed Hal Jordan or killed Jon Stewart, then people would say, whoa, we have to take notice. One of the, one of the Earth Green Lanterns died. Even Simon would have, would have made a bigger statement than this. But instead, you don't do that. All you do is you... Um, you kill off these these, you know. I don't want to call them minor lanterns because that's that's underselling their value, but it's not it's not enough to make people take notice of how serious it is. But it's enough to make people annoyed that these beloved characters got killed essentially for no reason. Mm-hmm. And that's my beef with this issue more than anything else. Um. So. I. I do really like the dual format of this book so far. First of all, I just want to say, like, I read issues two, three, and four to get ready for this. And, man, it's just wild. Like, issue one made me think this book was going to be a totally different thing. And then issue two happened. Mm -hmm. And then issue three started the, like, dual format thing. Um and yeah, I did not care for the John story in issue three. I thought it was better in issue four, and I'm really excited about where it may be going. It seems like Thorne is like referencing back to um, mosaic stuff. Yes. Because um, of like the you know he talks about like where where he is in time here with like it, it's when Hal was 
parallax and i don't i don't remember exactly how the mosaic stuff lines up timeline wise with that but mosaic's way before then it is before then john was not a green lantern with the when the house stuff happened how okay, was a dark but, star at that point okay that's right okay the mosaic stuff was like mid to late 90s no mosaic stuff was like 90 91 oh that's right i i meant the other way around cuz parallax was like 90 Five, 94, 93, 94, 93, yeah. Okay, okay. Because that, okay. that ended in Zero Hour, which was 94. Okay. Right, okay, you're right, yeah. Um, but I feel it's got to be referencing that somehow, or it's going to have to come back to that, I feel like. And I think Thorne has even like talked about Mosaic in interviews, um, which that that's cool. Um, Mosaic ran for 18 issues, by the way. The, ongo- the ongoing... Yeah started in 92 but there was a um there was a story arc in the green lantern like proper book called that in 1990 okay okay um and yeah i definitely like the stuff on oa with joe and kelly and simon better um there was a thing in a previous issue that I also really liked the, this kind of um, the seven worlds yes. idea. That was, a, that's a really cool idea. I really like a lot of the mythology building that, that Thorne is doing and he's planting mm-hmm. a lot of seeds. There was that weird character in the first issue who um, kind of appeared out of nowhere and seemed like he knew more about what was going on. There's, there's this stuff with John, there's this stuff with the star heart there, there are these seven crux worlds. There's, there's a lot of like really cool world building and stuff going on, um, and I generally really like this book because of that. But man, it's it's not particularly pretty to look at, um, which is a shame. Those first two issues had that really great Dexter Soy art. Yes. Uh huh. And I, I want to get back to that really badly. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm not a big Rainy fan. I am not. But I actually think Rainy was the better of the two in this issue. I agree. I I, Um, I think that's true in this issue. I think last issue that was not true. I think you're right. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, But I don't care for either. Um, Some of that comes down to the coloring a little bit too. Um, Who's the colorist on this issue? Uh, Michael... Atia, mm-hmm. I don't love the colors. Um, it, to me, it's so, hard to fuck up coloring a Green Lantern book. Mm-hmm. But, and but part of it is that you you're having to tell half the story with no Green Lanterns. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I I conceptually like almost everything that this book is doing. It's just. It is um, sometimes focusing a little bit more time. Like like John's story gets about six or seven more pages than Joe's does in this issue. And, right. And I, I care more about the Joe side. Um, I think it was maybe a little bit more even last issue. I might be wrong. But then the art just is – it's really fighting against this. I, I feel like I would enjoy the John story a lot more if the art was like – a little bit more interesting. Um, I completely agree with that. 
Yeah, you, you know, it, it's um, it's wild, but um, art is really important in a visual <laughs> medium. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it, right? Who'd have thought? So yeah, so I do, I do like this book, and I really want to like this book more than I do even. Um, I just think it needs a facelift visually. I don't know if we're gonna get that either. Yeah, I didn't. I'm kind of. I meant to check the solicits and see. I also wonder, like, so we we've been talking a little bit on the show about how how closely to future state are all these books going to hewn, right? Like, is is future state stuff going to happen? Like, we know it's kind of happening in action, right? That we're getting. We're getting the war world stuff to a certain degree. We know that the magistrate is there in the Batman books. We know, you know, there are any number of things that definitely seem like they are, they are going to be coming to the books in one form or another. The Teen Titans Academy stuff, but I feel like this stuff, the Green Lantern book was the, if not the poorest received, the second poorest received, of the Future State books. And almost everybody said I did not read a single good review of that of that comic. So you would think that they would look at that and maybe figure out a way to tell that story in a in a more interesting way. And I just I mean I really hope that this is not getting to ignore it with a gun. <laughs> yeah, Rainey and Santucci are the art team up through issue six. Yeah which is all that's been solicited. So so let's talk about John Stewart maybe being a guardian. So it sounds like this conversation is... So right before Ganthet gives... I would guess this conversation happens right before Ganthet gives Kyle his, his ring in Green Lantern 49 or 50. I think it's 49. Um, and it seems like he convinces John to become a guardian and John says yes but then changes his mind and he says like well I already I already changed you so I can't like I can hide it but I can't undo it. it that that's kind of how you guys read it too right that he's that he is like that he's a guardian essentially well he says him he says so so Ganthet says you you you're still one of us. Nothing can change that. And then off panel, you assume it's John saying I've changed. We all have me guy, Hal, and like guy, I don't know. You have, I don't think he means they've all become guardians. I think they've all changed in different ways. Yes, they all have. Because at that point, Guy Gardner yeah. didn't have his ring anymore. He was Guy Gardner uh-huh. warrior. Uh-huh. And, um, John was a dark star. I think that's what he means. Yes. I think, I think, um, here once you've ascended there is no means so he he is already ascended yes whatever that means which i assume is like that's what the uh, sufyan's the ascension is about yeah yes. yeah something something video game <laughs> that's all i have to add to this conversation yeah i don't know I, 
I think that the big reveal here is going to be that John doesn't need a ring because he's a guardian, but he doesn't realize that. There's going to there's going to be a battle where it's going to seem like his back's against the wall, and he's going to be able to do shit he didn't know he could do, and it's because he's been a guardian all along. Well, and yeah, because he became a guardian of Mosaic. Not really. That's what Wikipedia says. It yeah, says, that's where the that's where the stuff from uh, the first issue when the guardians are like, you are, you were a guardian at one point, and but that's he never, why you bridge the. But he doesn't like physically become a guardian, does he? He doesn't well, act no, as a guardian. So like through, so it says through John's efforts, the cities of Mosaic World were forged into a cohesive society. In return for his success, the guardians granted Stuart the honor of becoming the first mortal guardian. Okay, I, I, I guess, I guess I, I'm reading this as more literal than that. You think he's like actually going to turn blue? No, but I think <sighs> he's, uh, but I think he's going to have like the pow- like the full powers of the guardians. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think like I guess like again, I haven't read Mosaic, but I, I understood that he like kind of had. Didn't he already kind of have those powers during that? Like, I don't he think had... he was. I don't think he was their equal. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I feel I feel like they're gonna wreck on that. Possibly. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm getting from this. I feel like that's what Gantt is telling him here. So even if that wasn't like in the text of like the original stuff, I feel like that's what Thorne is kind of doing. Yeah. And again, like I have not read Mosaic in since it came out i was i was literally reading it as a 10 year old so i don't wow i probably wasn't born yet <laughs> you know you were born <laughs> this, I, this isn't a brag on my arm i'm just telling you like i was right, a long time fine. ago here here's an article on here's an article on comic book resources from 2016 titled wait wasn't john stewart one of the guardians of the universe Five times he was a guardian, and, and five six other times, times he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are, are, are we just at the point of the show where we're just going to read articles and then he, talk about them? He eats. He, I, there's. He eats his power ring. His eyes start glowing green, and he gets a sick new costume. Sick. That that looks like a cross between like a Green Lantern outfit and a Guardian robe thing and yeah oh yeah he straight up becomes a guardian okay see, i don't remember that from my mosaic read that's it's in like the last issue okay apparently okay so then that's definitely what's happening and i yeah. I'm, I'm i'm actually cool with that i think i think giving john his own thing is good and that's the only way you're ever going to make him stand apart from hal and the other earth lanterns is just to give like what made kyle rayner unique was that in addition to being the only Green Lantern for 15 years, whatever it was, 10 years, he also, like, you know, being the torchbearer, being the White Lantern, all that. John hasn't had anything like that. So why not make him a, a half-Guardian dude? No? Yes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it kind of... It kind of... It kind of plays along the same lines as some of the other stuff that's going on at DC right now where, you know, 
sometime in the future, Superman is ascending and John takes over. You know, it's the fifth world. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and you know, they're they're going full Morrison. Yes, that was mentioned in a thing recently, right? It was in this book. Yeah, it was. It was, but. The, for some reason, the context of it made me think like, "Oh, this is different." It's not going to be the the fifth world as we. No, I I I read it just like yesterday, and it was like, when the fourth world dies, Earth will become the fifth the fifth world. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. I don't think that that's going to happen. That's ever. what I'm saying. Like, I yeah. don't think I don't think that's where this is. <laughs> heading no, no but no, I, I see what you're saying I though agree. vince because you know you, you get you're getting jackson hyde as aquaman you're you are getting jace fox as a batman yeah wonder um, woman is gone for now right right yeah so this does kind of fit in with you know with all of that yeah i think i actually do now i definitely do think we're getting the fifth world because <laughs> the new gods are going to be wonder woman okay and superman Ooh. Oh man! And oh, John Stewart. Oh, that's good. And oh, baby, uh, Barry. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, Ooh. those Ooh. those four for sure. Ooh, I like that. What if? You know, there was something I read, and I can't remember where, but it was somebody talking about the Superman in the 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 Morrison book. Um, Superman and the, the Authority. Authority. Yeah, there was something in there about like it's not. This isn't what you think it is, or there's there's stuff in there that's. This not... isn't going to go the way you think it's going to go. No, wait, that's <laughs> the Last Jedi. Sorry. Yeah. Right. What What if Morrison gets to do Fifth World in that? What if he gets to kick the soccer ball? Or they they sorry. What if they get to like move the football forward on that one. What if that's how they got Morrison to come back and do oh stuff. Oh, They're like, that... "Okay, we'll finally let you do the fifth world." That would be so good. Guys, I know it's fun to masturbate on the podcast. But we really should move on to the next book. What if that's what Future State is/was cuz he was involved in the they were involved. Gosh, I sorry we're trying, that's going to we're it, trying. It, yeah. It's it's a it's a we've been saying Gendered pronouns for for Grant Morrison for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, they were involved in at least the Superman stuff, we know. Um, Man, that would be wild. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ah. I love love thinking about comics that are better in your head than they're ever going to be on the page. Yeah. (laughs) My favorite thing to do. That's Absolutely. why I'm on this show. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, go, I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight because I'm gonna be thinking about who, who are gonna be the, the new gods of the fifth world, who's ascending. Well, speaking of Vince jerking off on the podcast, let's talk about Wonder Girl number two, uh, <clears throat> written and illustrated by Joel Jones with some additional illustration by Adriana Mello. They're um, already doing it. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're they're already they're already bringing in the the fill in the co-artist. Uh, uh, it only took an issue and a half. 
Yeah. It took one and a half Jim Lees to get a Joel Jones. This, uh, is, this is the immortal. Jim Lee half an issue. Jim Lee half an issue. Yes, Jim Lee is half an issue. So this is one and a half Jim Lees before you get a fill in. I said Infinite Horizon. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you know, the Joel Jones stuff just looks really incredible. The mellow stuff isn't bad either. The the mellow. I mean, Adrian Mello. This is actually Mello. good mellow. I usually am not the biggest mellow fan. Mellow did that. Um, uh, Female Furies. Yeah. Comic, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, which I which I really like. I thought the art in that was really good. A lot of times it was doing an intentional Kirby thing and. You know, I think Adriana Mello is a, a, a very good artist. Like, I'm, I am not unhappy to uh, see her on a on a comic. You know, but like, I, I just, I, I would like Adriana Mello art on uh, one book, and then Joel Jones art on another book. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's the, it's like if the new Halsey album had like four songs from, I don't know. From Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. <laughs> no. That's, that's happening. No, that's good. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I just, yeah. You know, it's just. Oh. I just don't like how this usually goes. And I know it's it's outside of the bounds of, of anything we can do about it. And I know DC is trying to keep to a regular schedule here, but I just think there's, there's a different rhythm to Joel Jones's art. And I think like the best example of that is in this issue where, um, they're telling the sort of mythical origins of wonder girl of Yara taking the wonder girl mantle. There's this like mythological mermaid creature that, sees something in Yara and passes this power along and it's exposition that's not overly wordy and it's also exposition that's not it gives a little bit of background on this mermaid character but it's not doing the thing that comics do where they show you something happening on the page and then the exposition is also describing exactly what you're seeing you're seeing this the, the passing of the torch onto Yara over the course of these, you know, three or four, five pages, whatever it is. And then the narration that gives you the background and gives you context for what you're seeing. And because Jones's art is so good and so like beautiful to look at, you take that in while you're reading this narration and it all comes together to create this very, like, it's a very old school, like, um, it's a very old school, like superhero origin type thing. Like, oh, they're they're literally being passed the torch or these powers because of something inherent in the character that this that this god or whatever is seeing in them. It's such an old school. Like, it would it would fit in with like Golden Age Wonder Woman, right? This felt and very it, War of the Gods to me. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely, and. You know, that's not exciting or groundbreaking, but I think it's really well done. I'm not I'm still not over the moon about this book because like it's a little disjointed, I think, because that part is that part's really like 
beautiful to look at and it, it, it plays really well, but it doesn't accomplish very much. And again, it doesn't tell us much. It's somebody else telling us what they think of Yara rather than us getting to see it. And I still think I still think we're missing something about Yara's character as far as like developing her. I'm sure we'll get it eventually. Um, and that's kind of disjointed from the rest of this issue, which is like um, a manhunt for Yara by all these different factions, which I I, I kind of like. I like that idea. I, I like enjoy that, that part way more than the rest, personally. Did you? Okay, yeah. I yeah, yeah I, I do too. And like, just just want to say like real quick, really quick, after reading these two issues, I only care about Yara as a character because these other groups care about her as a character. Yes. yes. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't have much more to say about it other than, yeah, I like I, the, the, the idea that the, the Banamigdal and the Amazons, and it doesn't really happen much in this issue, but we know that um, the gods of Olympus were also looking for her as well. You've had, well, I guess you do see the, the, the god at the end who like uh, sticks himself with the arrow. That was cool. That yeah, that part was cool. Like, was it Eros or was it like a? I thought it was like a cousin. No, it was an arrow. Ha ha ha! <laughs> no, doesn't it say that he's not supposed to be pricked by his own by his own arrow, but it happens anyway? Isn't isn't that? Don't we it... hate it when that happens? <laughs> 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 I'm trying to remember now if it's if it's the, if it's Eros himself or does he if he is, is wielding like the. Uh... You know it what talk- I'm, I'm going to go to the back of the issue. You guys talk about this for a little bit. So so I guess what I'm saying is like I'm not over the moon about this, but there's a lot of like individual parts about it that I really like. I like I like which how mythological art. it is, and mm-hmm. I don't mean that just because they're like mythological figures at play. It just feels very. The scope is so grand and large. Yeah. It's very, for lack of a better word, epic in in that way, in the storytelling. Yeah. Oh, here, okay. Yes, it is reintroducing the god Eros and his companion, god of the West Wind, Zephyros. That's who I was thinking of. But you're right, it is Eros, yeah. Okay. And um, it is an Eros act. Yeah, so, Sephiroth. <laughs> Sephiroth. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, what, what I was going to say about this is I, I'm going to take a, a somewhat controversial opinion here, which is that the only reason that the Joelle Jones stuff works is because of her art. That part of the issue is incredibly boring. Um, if it was If it was lesser art, we would be complaining about that part of the issue. Oh, I don't think I agree mm, with that. No, it's it's all. not wor- it's not wordy enough. We would complain about it if there was like tons and tons of text everywhere. There's mm. a fair amount of text there, no, but not no, not no. in the Joel Jones parts. Uh-uh. Um, you see that art. It, so like so, I I I never I never enjoy the more to use a word Zach just used the the more mythological parts of Wonder Woman. I always find that stuff is much better in small doses. Whenever, like, 
a Themyscirian sits someone down and is like, here's a bit of history, I fall asleep. I don't give a fuck about that. I think when you get little pieces of it in context, it's really good. But whenever it's highlighted, I find it to be dull. And I find that this is, like, we didn't need to know all of this stuff to make Yara important to us. Because, like Zach said also, we're, she's only important to us because these other people are looking well, for her. I think we did need it because this is the only thing I have to go off of right now. But again, uh, like, but you, you said yourself, this didn't make you care more. What made you care was Artemis going after her and Cassie well, going after her. Like, that stuff is what matters. Well, yeah, I mean, like, okay, so here's my take here. This is Brian Azzarello's Wonder Woman run again. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And I and I loved that run. Uh, but and, that, that but, run... But Wonder Woman was not my favorite character in that book. I agree with Pro- all of that. Probably not even in my top three. <laughs> but but that run was not necessarily. Um, uh, there there was a lot more showing than telling in that run. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of showing here too, though. Like I, Vince, well, yeah, I I think I Brian, I think I think this came really close to running the risk of too much telling, but I think. I think kind of what I said about like how the 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 art isn't just a one to one companion piece for the narration. No, it's not. And the narration is not so overbearing that that it just it doesn't mean redundant. it just doesn't mean anything. I guess is my point. That's maybe that's what I want to say here. Is I feel like this is a hair's breadth away from that green arrow story from last week where Rom V just took a poem and updated it. Like it is, it is a hair's breadth away from that. It is, it it, it is telling, it is instead of just showing, I think this sequence would have been just as powerful, totally silent. There is nothing in the narration that is, that is as important as what Jones is showing you visually here. I I don't think I agree with that necessarily. You don't have to agree. I'm, I'm, this is, this is my opinion. I'm just, yeah, no, I'm saying, yeah. um, Yeah, I, I just think it's, it takes your eye away from the artwork and it doesn't give you anything of value in it. You don't learn anything about her. You don't learn anything about her powers. You get a little bit of mythological stuff, but it's not, to me, it's not the heart of what you need to know about the character. Actually, I think so. I think this is information that we would want to know eventually. But now Not that here. you mentioned that, I think I think if these like opening pages had 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 no narration and had just been the art, that would have been more effective. Actually, I yeah. agree. I put that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I you know I I was down on that part of the issue, but then once we get to these different factions looking for her, I think that's really interesting actually, and that makes the character pop in a way that it that she didn't in the first issue really um you know the joel jones stuff looks awesome and i love that we're getting joel jones interiors on this for however long we do get joel jones interiors on this but to me the yara floor stuff that is interesting to me has nothing to do with that voiceover in the beginning of the issue zero I think, I mean, I think that stuff was cool, but we also still don't have a lot of context. I think that's the thing. We just don't know very much about this character still, other than she is very important. Capital V, capital I. Yeah. 
So I like this book. I really liked that first issue a lot. I think I like this second issue less. Mm-hmm. But I I still like this book a lot. I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> surprisingly. That's, As that always. Surprising. Well, I, but I like I like it a lot. I do. Uh, it's just that the, there's there's lots of parts to it that I like that are not yet. Yeah, it's also up, only two issues in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I do wish that it could just be like a bi-monthly book or something, so that Jones could just do it herself. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. Uh-huh. Or or an OGN. I don't know if if Bendis can take two years to do his second season of Naomi or whatever with Jamal Campbell. Why can't this book? I don't know what's going on there. I mean, I I would say that the reason for that is that with Bendis. I mean. Yeah, no, I know. But what I was going to say is, I think that for Jones, they wanted this character to be a part of. This character was so good in Future State, they wanted to capitalize on that right away, so there wasn't enough time to give the lead time there. I guess so. All right, well, that does it for this week, folks. Vincy, do you have our next week's books pulled up? (sighs) Absolutely not. We've only been doing this bit for for five years or whatever it is now. Okay, while he he does that, while he looks that up, Brian, did you see? I'm sure you did because you did the solicits. Did you see the Starman compendium in the newest solicits? I I saw that they were publishing that was I think that was announced before. Isn't that a resolicit? Maybe or Okay, actually this gosh, I thought I was still in the September solicits. So I was this was in July solicits. That's gosh, what I this thought, was yeah. forever ago. Yeah. But we hadn't talked about it. it. Isn't it basically just the reprint of the first couple volumes of the of the Omnibuy in, in softcover? Yeah, but it's been out of print for so long. Well, certain people bought it when it was in print and still have it on their shelf. So. Oh well, some of us were in college and didn't have any money when those were coming out. <laughs> so, some of us also have the entire run in singles and are maybe going to bind the letters pages. All right, I have it. Okay. Okay, we've got Batman the Detective. We've got Batman Urban Legends. We've got Detective Comics 1039. We've got Future State Gotham 3. We've got Infinite Frontier 2. We've got Superman, Son of Kal-El. Already? Wow. We've got the Joker number 5, and we've got Wonder Woman 775. All right. I will catch up on Batman the Detective and Joker. Yeah. And I might read those Superman issues. That's all. There's no reason to read the Superman issues. I'm a completist. Since when? Completionist. You're the with mercenary. That I like. Since when? The thing with things that I like. That's true. That's I true. can I tell you, Zach. Totally Zach, if we're gonna be like picking like issues that matter to talk about, we, we probably aren't gonna end up talking about Batman the Detective. I still want to read it. Okay. Well, we'll talk. We'll. But we'll, we don't have to talk about it. We'll Hot kick take. it around. It's good. We'll okay, okay. If we're not gonna talk about it, then I'll just read it when it's all out or something. It's good well, though. We'll you kick, should read it. We'll kick it around in Lad's chat. I just like Kubert art. I like both Kuberts. Sure. Do you like Kubert the Nintendo game? Yes. No, I've actually never played it. You were, um, you weren't born yet. No. So. No. Brian. He Brian is in Wreck It Ralph. He is in Wreck It Ralph. Yep. Which yes, he is. is a world in 
Kingdom Hearts Union Cross, the mobile game, <sighs> and will probably is. be important in future games. Wow. That's actually shocking to hear that. I don't like hearing that. Um, can I tell you guys what comes the, the week after? There's a couple exciting things in there. Sure, sure. Te- tease our listeners with something they can't hear for almost for half a month. Go for it. <laughs> Blue and gold, number one. Oh, baby. I don't care about that. Back, back to the Jurgens. Shazam, number one. Yeah, baby. Su- Superman and the Authority, number one. Oh. That that week hits hits all of our uh, all of our androgynous zones. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I specifically said it the way that uh, what movie is that they call it an androgynous zone? I just watched a movie like last week when someone called it that. Um, and it made me laugh. And I said I should use that term in real life, and I did. Spaceballs. Yes, it was spaceballs. Absolutely. Dark Helmet said that line. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, anyway, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is. Um, he's he's actually. I, I'm proud of him because he's starting a small business, which is something that's very brave to do in this troubled economic times. He's doing it just. He's making a record label to put out a seven inch, uh, double A side. Uh, of Mitt Romney, a hero in my mind. <laughs> and so uh, look for that on Rumors of War Records coming out <laughs> later this year. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to put the little stinger at the end, right? I am, yes. Good. Bye, everybody. All right, folks. Good night. Wars and rumors of wars.